So last Friday, President Obama gave his last press conference as commander in chief. <laughs> yeah. Undeterred by his would-be successor's devastating loss to Donald Trump in the presidential election, unswayed by Republicans' complete domination of Congress, state legislatures, and governor mansions, he maintained his cool and collected self-aggrandizement. Why not? According to Obama, Obama has been a massive success. Perhaps the most hilarious moment of delusion came when he talked about terrorism. He said, over the past eight years, no foreign terrorist organization has successfully executed an attack on our homeland that was directed from overseas. He then continued, saying no attack had been executed in a rainstorm, with the attacker driving a tractor with one hand, drinking a Miller High Life with the other, wearing a clown nose. To be fair, Obama didn't actually say that last part. But he may as well have. In order to define away the problem of terrorism that has grown dramatically worldwide on his watch, he simply spoke of terrorism as a problem of organized groups within defined territories which is not how terrorism actually works. Terrorist groups can recruit without formal structures. They can operate as independent cells within various countries. Just three days after Obama's statements, an alleged jihadi plowed a truck into a Christmas market in Berlin, the same day a Turkish terrorist murdered the Russian ambassador to Turkey. These latest attacks are not outliers. In the past several years, we've seen terrorist attacks in Turkey and Germany and Belgium and Great Britain and Canada and Australia, among others. This sort of terrorism isn't relegated to foreign countries, of course. Here's an incomplete list of radical Islam-related terror attacks and attempts on American soil under Obama. Shootings of American military recruiters in Little Rock, Arkansas, the massacre at Fort Hood, the Boston Marathon bombing, an attempted bombing of the airport in Wichita, Kansas, hatchet attacks on New York City police officers, attempted shootings at the Drama Muhammad event in Garland, Texas, the attacks on military recruiters in Chattanooga, Tennessee, the massacre at the San Bernardino Inland Regional Center, the Orlando nightclub shooting, the New York and New Jersey bombings, and the Ohio State University car attack, just to name some. Obama still thinks he can cover his abysmal record with closely drawn definitions of terrorism, which is the equivalent of Bill Clinton saying he's been faithful to his wife, except for certain areas, like sex, which is technically true so far as it goes, but it just doesn't go all that far. Americans know that, and they reacted to Obama's consistent lying by omission by electing Trump, a man who needs pretty much no evidence to jump to conclusions. Obama is so careful to avoid spotting fact patterns, he simply omits inconvenient data points. Trump is so eager to spot fact patterns, he simply includes convenient non-data points. But Americans would actually rather have Trump's jump-to-conclusions mentality than Obama's avoid-conclusions-at-all-cost mentality. Trump's mentality may lead to mistakes, but those mistakes are less likely to cost Western lives. So Obama can hawk his faux sophistication on terrorism as much as he wants. If Democrats want to ensure that Republicans continue to win elections, they ought to follow his lead. I'm Ben Shapiro. This is The Ben Shapiro Show. All righty. So we are back. Woo! We're back for this shortened Christmas week. Sorry, I was on the road a little bit. There's a picture that's going around of me and Ted Cruz, and we are both laughing at something. I will let you guess as to what it is that we are laughing about. But uh, nonetheless, we, we, there, there's a lot to get to. A lot has happened in my absence. You leave for two days and the world is on fire. Of course, when I'm here, the world's also on fire. Unlike Andrew Clave, I will not attribute all world events to my absence from the political scene. But we have to begin today by saying hello to one of our advertisers, Texture.com. So Texture, this is a great service, it's a great app, and what it allows you to do is you pay $9.99 a month, and what you get in return is access to over 200 magazines. You get 200 magazines, so you're not paying for a separate subscription to each magazine, because the truth is you don't want to read every article in Time or every article in Newsweek or every article in Sports Illustrated. You want to read the ones that you want to read, and Texture allows you to do that. So for people who are kind of reading junkies like me, people who just have to have information poured into their brain uh, using enormous silos, Texture is the, is the place for you. Texture.com slash Ben. That gets you a 14-day 
free trial. And uh, it is it is a great service. I mean, the list of magazines is really really long. They give you access to all of these all of these magazines, so not just one. You can check back issues. You can view bonus video content. They curate articles and magazines just for you, so that they, so that you can access just the stuff you want to see. It's stuff ranging from Sports Illustrated and Entertainment Weekly to Vanity Fair and Rolling Stone and Cosmo. And the great thing again is that you don't have to buy a subscription to Cosmo. You can just read the stupid article that Cosmo posted about the Gaines family, or you can go to Reader's Digest and read that while you're on the toilet. Texture makes sure that you can get access to all of these magazines wherever you are. It really is fantastic service. Texture.com slash Ben. Okay, so while I was gone, the Democrats decided that it would be a great idea to double down on everything terrible that they ever thought about anything, which is just a genius move. One day, thousands of years from now, people will look back and they will see that Americans liked Lena Dunham, or at least some Americans liked Lena Dunham, for example, and they will say to themselves, why? Just Why? Like, why, why Lena Dunham? Why? There is no answer. I mean, there's are cosmic questions that people will be asking themselves generations from now. But the Democrats are addicted to Lena Dunham. They love Lena Dunham because they love people who have the charisma and the, and the brains and the looks of a russet potato. But apparently, the left just loved so So Lena Dunham was at the DNC, as you recall. They loved her so much, they put her on stage at the DNC. And here is what that looked like. I am a pro-choice feminist sexual assault survivor with a chronic reproductive illness. Donald Trump and his party think I should be punished for exercising my constitutional rights. His rhetoric about women takes us back to a time when we were meant to be beautiful and silent. Meanwhile, 22 years ago, Hillary Clinton declared that women's rights are human rights. Okay, so so one of the more delicious elements of this election cycle has been watching Lena Dunham's continued mental meltdown over Donald Trump's victory. Well, now Lena Dunham says that she wishes that she had had an abortion, right? She says she wishes that she had had an abortion. She said, apparently, she informed her audience on her podcast that while she's never had an abortion personally, she wishes she had so she could do her part to reduce stigma around the issue. And she said, I can say I still haven't had an abortion, but I wish I had. Why? Okay, so if Democrats are looking to win Americans, probably the best way to do that is not to trot out at the DNC the lady who says that she wished that she had had a baby in her stomach, just so, in her uterus, just so that she could murder the baby, so that she could feel the solidarity and joy of having murdered a baby. I mean, it really is pretty egregious stuff. Democrats usually have the brains to cover up their enthusiasm about abortion. They usually have the brains to say things like Bill Clinton's safe, legal, and rare, or it's a tragic decision a woman has to make. Right? Ignoring, of course, the fact that if it's a tragic decision then you shouldn't be allowed to do it, right? The whole idea of legalizing abortion rests on the notion that it's not a tragic decision. It's the same thing as removing a polyp. But the Democrats usually don't speak in, those lang- in that sort of language because they understand that it alienates people. But Lena Dunham full-on embraces it. She says that she wishes that she'd had an abortion so she could be part of the select sisterhood of women who have engaged and, and pursued the use of the right to murder a baby in her womb. If this is the sort of thing that Democrats think is going to win elections— by all means, they should continue to push it, because the fact is the vast majority of Americans don't think that abortion is a, is a pro-social thing to do. They don't think that abortion is a good thing to do. Even people who are pro-choice, generally, don't think abortion is a good thing. They, think, they may think it's a necessary thing, but most of them don't think it's a good thing, because most of them still have a basic semblance of, un- of discomfort with abortion. She actually said on this podcast that that was one of, her, one of the reasons she wishes she'd had one, because people were talking about their abortions, and she felt uncomfortable. Because deep down in Lena Dunham's body, there's still 
resides a small spark of godly soul that says to her, yeah, you should be uncomfortable with people killing babies. And she says, I want to extinguish that by presumably getting pregnant and killing the baby. She's now come out and apologized because whenever Democrats get caught doing stuff, they come out and apologize falsely. But that's, of course, what she thinks. And that's not the only way in which Democrats have lost their minds and are doubling down on everything radical that they can possibly conceive of. The other thing that came out over the last couple of days is, of course, this insane, insane, insane video from MTV. So MTV released a video of a bunch of people who you would never want to associate with in real life. Like people who, like you just look at them and how smug and self-satisfied they are. And you think, I would not want to be within 100 miles of these folks. MTV released a a video of resolutions for for white guys for 2017. They're telling you what your resolutions should be. Because there's nothing more ideologically fascistic than telling other people what they should aspire to be in the coming year. Here's MTV informing you. Remember when MTV used to put on music videos? Remember that? Yeah, not anymore. This is what it is now. It's about to be a new year. And there's a few things we think you could do a little bit better in 2017. First off, try to recognize that America was never great for anyone who wasn't a white guy. Can we all just agree that Black Lives Matter isn't the opposite of All Lives Matter? Okay, so, sorry, Austin is running back and forth to TV screen to computer. It's, it's amusing to watch. I'm going to continue this pattern. Um, but it's, but uh, the, I love that the first gal gets up. She says, can we agree America was never great for anyone who wasn't a white male? No, we can't agree on that at all. As a Jew with ancestors who are Jews, I can pretty much agree America is the greatest country that God ever created. And by the way, for black people living in today's America, America is the greatest country that God ever created. And even during Jim Crow, America was a much better country for black people than the vast majority of countries around the world, which is not a case in favor of Jim Crow, God forbid. But to suggest that America was never great for anybody except white men is just a bunch of crap. I mean, how about white women, by the way? White women have had it better in America than any place else on earth. I mean, America is, is heaven for white women. I mean, white women now earn more than white men. White women are going to college at a higher rate than white men. Even in the supposedly horrific, terrible, horrible, horrible, terrible 50s, Women were actually pretty happy, if you look at the polls, of, of female satisfaction, because they were living in a prosperous country. I and mean, what a bunch of nonsense. And then this, this woman says, can we just agree that Black Lives Matter doesn't just mean Black Lives Matter, it, all lives matter is not a response to Black Lives Matter? Uh, no, because the entire Black Lives Matter movement is predicated on the notion that black lives are specifically under different assault than other lives in the United States by white people, and that is not true. And then I, I do love the fact that where they go next in this MTV video is they say black lives matter. You know, it doesn't all lives matter is not a proper response to black lives matter because of course all lives matter, but we're just talking about black lives now. And then the next thing they say is that not all lives matter. Black lives just matter. There's no need to overcomplicate it. Also, blue lives matter isn't a thing. Cops weren't born with blue skin, right? I mean. Yeah! They weren't born blue! Stop bragging about being woke. Stop saying woke. Learn what mansplaining is, and then stop doing it. Oh, and if you're a judge, don't prioritize the well-being of a... <laughs> Making Austin run back and forth is really amusing. Okay, so, don't use woke. Okay, how about you stop using woke? It's obnoxious, and no one knows what the hell you're talking about. Yeah, oh, you're woke. Woke to what? Did you awake? Did you wake up? Why are you using a passive verb in place of an active one? In any case, the, the, I, I do love the, the, the idea. Don't use woke. Also, stop mansplaining to us. Stop mansplaining to us. Mansplaining is the stupidest word that anyone ever created, mansplaining. Okay, it's called an explanation. If a man is doing it and it is worthwhile, that does not mean that he's doing it as a man. Okay, it, men used to have a word for women's blaming. It was called nagging. 
Okay, this this routine. <laughs> but honestly, it's just it's it's such silliness. I mean, continue it because these people desperately. This is Donald Trump's re-election ad right here, and it's fun to watch. An Ivy League athlete over the woman he assaulted. We all love Beyonce, and yeah, she's black, so of course she cares about black issues. I'm talking to you, Fox News. Feel free to take Kanye West, though. You guys can have him. You know what you did, Kanye. Nobody who has black friends says that they have black friends. And just because you have black friends doesn't mean you're not racist. You could be racist with black friends. Look guys, we know nobody's perfect. But honestly, you could do a little better in 2017. Some of you guys do a great job. Some of you don't. Please, because 2016 is bad. 2017 can't be worse than this, all right? Because this is bad. Okay, I'm gonna listen to the, to the black guy with the cat on his shirt telling me about what it means to be a better person because he's a black guy with a cat on his shirt. That's basically what this comes down to, right? I mean, this video comes down to it's a bunch of not white males lecturing white males, and that's okay because they have moral superiority because they're not white males. Here's my question. What do these people actually do? Does anyone know any of these people? Like, I don't know any of these people. I don't know them from Adam. I don't care what color they are or what their sex is. It doesn't matter to me. Do, do they do decent things? I mean, for all I know, these people, this is a series of axe murderers. They went to San Quentin and dragged out of prison to lecture white males. The idea that these, these folks are granted some extra legitimacy because of their color or because of their sex, what, what a bunch of absolute nonsense. I also love the fact, there's an irony to the fact that you have the, the one guy uh, saying, just because you say, don't say you have black friends, that, that doesn't mean that you're not a racist. And then this entire video is built around the concept that because they're showing a bunch of black people, uh, showing some black people and some Hispanic people, some Asian people, because they're showing various diverse people, that means they can be racist against white people. Right, so there's a certain irony to that as well. But again, all of this is designed, all of this is designed not to win elections. It is designed to further polarize the population. They think that demographically, in the next election cycle, they're going to have some advantages because they think that by 2020, millennials will represent people who are currently millennials, will represent 40% of the voting base. They think that the Hispanic base is going to grow. They think that they're just going to out-demographics the rest of the United States. But it turns out that that's not how politics works. As, as late as two years ago, Democrats were saying we'd never win. Well, six months ago, Democrats were saying Republicans would never win another presidential election. In 2008, their idea was Republicans would never win back Congress. By 2010, they had. People are people. They have ideas. Their brains function. And they're not just a set of physical characteristics on the outside. And so you can't just suggest that white people are bad and everybody else is good and then hope to win elections. That's not how any of this works. But again, Democrats don't know this, and so they keep doubling down on the stupid uh, I, I, one of the more amusing sites over the weekend, by the way, was, was Bill Clinton on Monday cast his electoral vote. He was one of the electors from New York, and he was hoping he'd be casting the winning electoral votes for Hillary. He cast his electoral votes, and he wept as he realized that Hillary would now be lurking around Chappaquiddick or Ch Chappaqua some more, uh, and he'd have to find a different outhouse to stash his mistress. Yeah, but I've never cast a vote I was prouder of. You know, I watched her work for two years. I watched her battle through that bogus email deal, be vindicated at the end when Secretary Palsma came out. She fought through that. She fought through everything. And she prevailed against it all. But, you know, then at the end we had the Russians and the, and the FBI deal. But she couldn't prevail against that. She did everything else. And still won by two point eight million. What cost the election? Thanks, guys. We got to run. Is it a great run Look, that's up to the experts. The finest vote counter in America is Nate Silver. He told you what cost of the election. Thank you, Mr. President. Thanks, guys. 
Okay, and then Bill Clinton, by the way, said that Trump only knows how to win angry white males. That was his, that was his summation of, of the election. Bill should know, since that was a large part of his base in 1992 and 1996, where the same dispossessed white folks that voted for Trump voted for Bill Clinton in 1992 and 1996. Again, all of this stuff is just alienating the same voters they just lost. There's no purpose to it other than they think that the demographics are going to save them. Demographics don't save you once you decide to blow off half the population, more than half the population. Okay, so now we got to say hello before we go any further. And we have some pretty stunning video coming up and a lot more to talk about, including Trump's infrastructure plans and the, and the, the, uh, the continued fallout from, from what's happening over in Turkey and Russia. Um, but first, we have to say hello to our, our advertisers over at CISO. So CISO.com is the place for comedy. If you are interested in, in watching comedy, if you're a comedy addict, then CISO.com is for you. Use the promo code BEN, you get two free months. They have all of the backlogged episodes of British comedies like The Office and the entire Monty Python catalog. They have all of the backlog of SNL and The Tonight Show starring Fallon, and, and they have classics like 30 Rock and Parks and Rec. They even have Saved by the Bell. So if you're really into comedy, CISO is the place to be for comedy, and it's $3.99. It's $3.99 a month, so it's super-duper cheap, uh, and you get all the comedy that you, can, that you could ever want out of this. It's definitely a relief at the end of the day because our politics has become very serious of late, uh, and this is definitely a, a relief. They, they produce a bunch of their own series as well, by the way, a bunch of original series, some of which are really, really funny. Uh, they, have, uh, they have some reality some fake reality shows that are really funny. CISO.com is the place to be $3.99 a month. My wife and I really, really enjoy it. Uh, so CISO.com, use that promo code BEN, get two months for free. Okay, so again, Democrats are intent on losing 2020 the same way they lost 2016. And so during the Electoral College vote on Monday, you can see how the protesters reacted to Wisconsin electors voting for Donald Trump. So... To go to Warren's eyes, crazy lady, the probably one are, of the protesters. One uh, of the protesters who's in my Wisconsin life. Donald J. Trump. <laughs> yeah, that w- way, to, way to really draw in those voters and, and really convince people that they were wrong, screaming at the, the electors, who, whose job it is to just confirm the vote. And then there's this video, which has been making the rounds. This apparently is a Trump supporter being beaten and dragged out of his car. This is going around a couple of weeks ago. Apparently he's okay, but this, this video's been going around as well. You voted Trump! You voted Trump! Yeah! Yeah, he voted Trump! And then you're going to see the new video that was released this week. Don't vote Trump. Don't vote Trump. Don't vote Trump. And then there is this guy being dragged alongside the car. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. That is awful. So, yeah, that kind of stuff is definitely going to help win uh, Democrats back their their voting base that they lost in this particular election cycle. Also, they can continue to fuss. Keith Olbermann, who has completely lost what was left of his tiny mind, uh, what was not occupied by his by his kittens uh, and his agriculture degree from Cornell, he's he's lost what was left of it, and and now he is saying that the best way to resist Trump is to never say President Trump, never say it. Not using one word can be just as forceful as perpetually using another. Never address Trump as president. He is Trump. Just Trump. (laughs) Never president. 
the title of president, that we must protect for a happier and more honest time. Resistance means refusal. Resist. Peace. <laughs> He's been he's been reduced to saying single words at a time because he can't speak in phrases anymore as his brain breaks down in front of him. If you think that Republicans are going to be devastated because Keith Olbermann doesn't call him President Trump. Yeah, right. I, I also remember, don't you remember when all the Democrats were saying that if you called Obama Obama and not President Obama, it was racist? That was a thing, like very early on in his presidency. If you called him Barack Hussein Obama, if you used his middle name, that was racist. And if you used his last name only, that was racist. You had to call him President Barack Obama or President Obama. Um, but you can do it against Trump, and that is a way to resist. Peace. I'm inside a box. No one knows how to get out. It's amazing. And then he, he, Keith Olbermann may, in fact, be the first actual live speaking mime. He's not actually a silent mime. He actually speaks. Right, and finally, you have Robert Reich, the former secretary of labor under, under Bill Clinton, and he has a proposal to stop Donald Trump. And here it is. A lot of people are analyzing what's going right on right now. Not a lot are doing what you did and actually talking about a resistance agenda that talks about getting Democrats in Congress and across the country to pledge to oppose the Trump agenda, to boycotting all Trump products, real estate, hotels, resorts, everything um, around the world. Can you go through what you're suggesting? Uh, yes. Uh, Amy, generally, I, I think we do have to regard this as not a normal presidency. Uh, it, you know, some people say, oh, well, it's just a—we've uh, had conservative, pompous, uh, narcissistic presidents before. Uh, this, is, this is not normal. Uh, this is really dangerous. Uh, and we have to resist. We have to have a peaceful Stop resistance. So they, they keep doing this. We have to resist. Okay, your resistance is just tears that Donald Trump will swig at night. The idea that your boycott is going to do anything to the Trump organization is absolute nonsense. He now has the biggest brand on planet Earth. He's the president of the United States. Uh, so Ro Robert Reich's boycott means nothing. Also, the, you, you keep hearing Democrats use these sorts of words like we cannot normalize Trump. We can't just say it's the new normal. We can't normalize him. It's not up to you. It's not up to you. He's going to do what he's going to do. And people are either going to like it or they ain't going to like it. But you don't get to decide what's normal. You guys decided that Barack Obama's behavior as president was normal. You decided that Bill Clinton's behavior as president was normal. You don't get to decide what's normal and what's not. I mean, in your world, it is not normal for a Christian baker to be able to not bake a cake for a same-sex wedding. But it is normal for a nine-year-old boy to be a nine-year-old girl. So you definitely do not get to define normal for me. You definitely do not get to define normal. I'm fine with the idea that Trump does things that are abnormal. But Robert Reich and company do not get to decide what is abnormal and what should be normalized and what should not, because they are so far beyond the pale of what is what is even reasonable that to have them draw the outer limit of normal and put Trump beyond it is just ridiculous. OK, so that brings us to the end of our live broadcast at, at Facebook. But you can go over to Daily Wire and uh, you can check out the, the rest of the show live. DailyWire.com, become a subscriber, $8 a month. I think that the, the deal is still on. If you get an annual subscription, you get a free copy, free signed copy of my book, True Allegiance, just in time for the Christmas holiday, and you're going to want to be a part of it. We've got a bunch of new stuff coming out next year. We've got uh, a store that's coming out. We've got a lot of big things planned for next year for our, for our members, particularly. Become a member at DailyWire.com, or you can listen later at iTunes and SoundCloud uh, and, and view it later at YouTube. We are the, the largest conservative podcast in America. Mm -hmm. 
Okay, so all of that is on what's going on on the Democratic side. So they are melting down. They are doubling down, I guess, on the basic strategy that if they just hate on white men enough, that they're going to win. That if they just rip on white men enough, they're going to win. The demographics will change, and then they're going to win. Except that most Americans are not that interested in this sort of racial polarization. They aren't. They're more interested in what does the president do. So now we get to what Donald Trump is going to do, what Donald Trump is going to do. And a lot of the things that Donald Trump talks about, as I've said before, are good things, and some of them are really not good things, right? That's why we do good Trump, bad Trump, because a lot of the stuff he says is good, and some of the stuff that he says is really not very good. Particularly when it comes to economics, a lot of what Trump says is really not good. When he talks about how he's going to blow out the deficit with a trillion-dollar infrastructure plan, that's not particularly good. And you can tell that Democrats are excited about this. Chuck Schumer says he's very much in favor of the trillion-dollar infrastructure plan. Now, the first thing to point out here, a lot of Republicans say, yeah, well, it's good. I mean, infrastructure is great. What's the problem? Everybody loves infrastructure. You can always tell that in infrastru- that a plan is bad when they are describing it by describing how much money is in it. They're not describing what the program is going to do. They're describing how much money is in the program. So if I said to you, if I said, if I said to my wife, you know what, tonight, tonight honey, we're going to go and we're going to get a really fantastic meal. The quality of the meal is going to be great. And I name her off a list of restaurants from the kosher restaurants in town. We're going to go to Shiloh's or La Gondola or Pat's. We're going to go to a really nice restaurant here in L.A. That is likely to be a good meal. If I just say to my wife, you know what, honey, we're going to go out tonight and I'm going to spend 400 bucks on food. And then I take her to Menchie's and it's $400 worth of froyo. <laughs> then, you know, you should be a little bit more concerned. Like, if, if you want an actual good program, you should describe what it is you're going to do, not the amount of money that you're going to spend on it. Right? And you never, like, if, if I say I want to get a really nice house, people, people use, unfortunately, cost as a proxy for quality. But that does not work on government contracts. Like it's, actually, it's actually possible to say, I'm going to spend a million dollars on a house, and everybody assumes it's going to be a nice house, and it's going to be a crap pile. But, if, but in government programs, if I say I'm going to hire a lawyer, for a, for a mil- I'm going to spend a million dollars on legal costs this year. I have to know whether those are good lawyers or bad lawyers. Is it, a, is it a crony deal? Like, What am I getting for my trillion dollars in infrastructure spending? If Trump came along and he said, look, here's what I want to do. There are a lot of potholes in the national highway system. We're going to fill all of those. We're going to add a second lane to the I-95, the, 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 the cross-state I-95 that runs from Maine all the way across the country. Then we can say, okay, that's either good or that's bad. What should the cost be? Let's have a competitive bidding process. But when you say we're going to allocate a certain amount of money for this, and that's the important thing is how much money we spend, now you're in Obama stimulus territory. Right now you're in, it doesn't matter what you do with the money. It just matters that you spend the money. And Trump's been talking about this trillion-dollar spending plan. And now it's pretty clear that they're, they're going to try to cudgel Republicans into supporting it. That they're, they're really going to try and push Republicans as hard as they can. And Mike Huckabee is a big fan of this. Here's Mike Huckabee pushing the trillion-dollar plan. Well, let's first talk about uh, the fact that we really do have probably two to three trillion dollars in total needs that have been identified by uh, the civil engineers of America. And I know that sounds like, well, let's just go spend a bunch of government money. But, Eric, in some cases, it's the government that has to spend the money to build things like roads and bridges and airports, waters and treatment plants. And, And here's a fact. If you build roads for every billion dollars that you spend in building a road, a highway, You put 7,900 people to work at the job site. If you start adding the indirect jobs, you're talking about 16,000, 17,000 more jobs. So the best way to get people off of government support is to give them a job. The most effective way to put people on a job. Wait, hold on. So the best way to get somebody off government support is to give them a job paid for by the government? I'm confused. How is that not being on government support? FDR had a works program. And he spent lots and lots and lots of money on that. 
and he put people to work, and the economy maintained its suckage all the way until World War II, at which point we put everybody to work, but we also had to put everybody in barracks and put them in, on the front lines with the risk of getting shot. So there was that as well. So it, this is just, it's silliness. There's no distinction. Again, if you want to say, what, what is the project and what should we spend on it? Is that a good spend or is that a bad spend? That's something that is worthwhile. It is not worthwhile, however, to just say, we're going to spend a trillion dollars on infrastructure and not tell us what's in it and pass some big omnibus package that is full of spending for no reason. But that's not the real purpose here, okay? The, the purpose really here, the purpose of all of this, is for Donald Trump to move to the center. And Newt Gingrich has said this. He says that all Trump wants is to move to the center. He doesn't even want to drain the swamp anymore. He's done with all the drain to swamp, drain to swamp. He's all done with that, that routine as well. Here's Gingrich. Others might say, you've been working in the swamp to use language. Although he, I'm told he now disclaims that. He now says it was, it was cute, but he doesn't want to use it anymore. It was cute, but he doesn't want to use it anymore. So all you folks got a little sucker, didn't you? Joe Scarborough, who's a confidant of Donald Trump, talks to him very frequently. He says that Trump is, is pushing for the idea that that they shouldn't move too far right. If they move too far right, then they're going to lose the 2018 elections. They have to govern from the center. It's amazing. Every time a Democrat wins, they're told to govern from the left. Every time a Republican wins, they're told to govern from the center. And so here's Scarborough telling Republicans to govern from the center. Republicans need to look at what happened to Democrats in 1994, after they went too far left for two years, what happened to Democrats in 2010, when they went too far left. If they think they're going to be able to go as far right, as the cabinet selections suggest they are, they will be wiped out two years from now. Let me just say this before they're even sworn in, because I was saying this about 2010. If Republicans go as far right as their cabinet choices suggest they're going to go far right, they will get wiped out in 2018. Okay, so this is an amazing statement because it suggests that there is a dead center to American politics, and if you just hit it, you'll be 100% popular. And it's not true. It's not true. Maybe the reason that people voted against Barack Obama's agenda in 2010 is because it was left. Not because it wasn't center, but because it was left. They didn't like Obamacare. And if Obamacare had been called centrist, it wouldn't have mattered. It was a bad policy. The reason that people moved against, against Clinton in 1994 is number one, because Clinton barely won in 1992, won 43% of the vote, but also because Clinton pursued a lot of left-wing policies. Maybe Americans don't like left-wing policies. Right? Why is it that you just equate left and right, as though a right-wing policy is the equivalent of left-wing policy, and so what you really need to do is find that happy, medi- happy medium? That's not true. It's either a good policy or a bad policy. Leftist policies suck. If Donald Trump pursues a good policy and it's right-wing, then he'll be popular. If not, he won't. But this is going to be the logic that dominates the Trump administration, the idea that Trump has to have this great bipartisan consensus. Gingrich said this also, by the way. Gingrich said that Trump shouldn't use executive orders, of course. He should, he should look for a bipartisan consensus. And right now, they're putting heavy pressure on. So Politico is reporting today that there is a massive push against Republicans in Congress to go along with everything that Donald Trump does. When Representative Bill Flores, Republican from Florida, suggested Republicans might resist Trump's executive overreach if he participated in it, both Breitbart and Sean Hannity, typical players, slammed him in quick succession. Politico reported, it's little wonder that Capitol Hill Republicans have papered over their not insignificant policy differences with Trump, shying away from any statement about the president's-elect that might possibly be construed as critical. They're terrified of arousing the ire of their tempestuous new leader or being labeled a turncoat by his army of followers. Since the election, numerous congressional Republicans have refused to weigh publicly on any Trump proposal at odds with the Republican orthodoxy, from his border wall to his massive infrastructure package. The most common reason, stated repeatedly but always privately, they're afraid of being attacked by Breitbart or other big-name Trump supporters. And, of course, Trump encourages this. 
You remember just a couple of weeks ago, he was speaking alongside Paul Ryan. There are a lot of reasons not to like Paul Ryan, but this is not one of them. And he doesn't like that Paul Ryan, for example, likes entitlement reform, which is necessary to keep the country from going bankrupt. And he said, every day goes by. I get to appreciate his genius more and more. Now, if he ever goes against me, I'm not going to say that, okay? And he's openingly threatening Paul Ryan. So Republicans are fearful, and they're running away. And that is not a major shock that Republicans are running away. And this is the tragedy of what could be the, the Trump presidency. And I just want to point, sorry, one, one more point before I get to the tragedy, okay? One more point here. Barack Obama was a big fan of these infrastructure plans, too. Here's Barack Obama in 2014 begging for the infrastructure. The American people have to demand that folks in Washington do their job. Do something. That's my big motto for Congress right now. Just do something. And if they don't like the transportation plan that I put forward, at least come up with your own plan, and then we can compromise. But don't just sit there and do nothing. We don't have time. America's on the move. Okay, and this is the routine that, that Trump has done also. It's the routine Bannon does. They are all doing the same routine. They're all doing the same routine. Government has broken down. The big strong man must come in and fix all things. They must fix all things. Here's the tragedy. Here's the tragedy. As president of the United States, you have two roles. One is to, is to implement policies that your voters want you to implement, obviously. But the second is actually the more important role. And that is the role of educating the public about things that they may not understand particularly well. And the voters are not all wise. They're not all knowing. I mean, they elected Barack Obama twice. They're not all wise and they're not all knowing. Clearly, I mean, this election cycle was a, was a toss-up between the most corrupt woman in the history of American politics and a reality TV star who says ridiculous things on a regular basis. Clearly, the American voter is not the most informed voter in the world. We're just not. I mean, most voters are people who read the headlines once in a while. But the job of a great president, of a great president, not, not like an effective president, a great one, is someone who can actually convey ideas and move the public. And actually, move, this is why they called Reagan the great communicator, because Reagan would actually sit there with a pie chart and explain to you how basic economics worked. And that's not what you're getting from Trump. And this is one of the things that, that is really devastating to me about this election, is as someone who operates from the premise that if you tell people the truth, they're willing to listen. That truth in politics matters. My, my entire goal in politics is to speak truth, which is why I'm not a politician. I'm here to say things that are, that are true, even if they're unpopular. But politics is about saying things that are popular, even if they're untrue. Right? Being a, I think being a decent political commentator, being a decent person, is about saying true things, even if they're unpopular. Being a politician is, say, is about saying popular things, even if they're not true. Because that's the case, all you're going to get is the worst people winning. People who, people who are not interested in educating the population about things that are unpopular. So, for example, back, you, you remember uh, back during the primaries, Ted Cruz, who uh, I saw over the weekend, and it was, it was funny. Um, but te, over, uh, during the primaries, if you recall... Ted Cruz did a uh, one Iowa. He won the first caucuses, and he did so even while maintaining that he did not support Iowa ethanol subsidies. Ethanol subsidies are the, these these boondoggle subsidies where you give lots of money to the farmers to grow corn, and then we process the corn into crappy fuel that works less well than than carbon based fuels. Works less well than gas, uh, and. We've been paying through the nose for this for a while just to subsidize the agriculture industry in the United States. And Cruz won Iowa, which is an amazing thing to win Iowa, a corn state, on the basis of we're not going to subsidize your corn growing. And then Donald Trump came along and he said, uh, this is what he said about, about Ted Cruz, he said, he will destroy your ethanol business 100%, 100%. Your ethanol business, if Ted Cruz gets in, will be wiped out within six months to a year. It's going to be gone. The ethanol folks like Trump. I've been consistent. I've been solid. I'm a supporter and will always be. I suppose. Right? And then he would go on 
to win Iowa by 10 points, right? Mitt Romney lost Iowa. He went on to win by 10 points. He's speaking, when he talks about trade and manufacturing, this is demagoguery. When he says things like trade is killing manufacturing jobs, when he calls companies like Rexnord of Indiana vicious for outsourcing, and he says, we're going to have a lot of phone calls made to companies when they say they're thinking about leaving this country because they're not leaving this country. When he says things like that and people swell to it, people thrill to it, it's not true. It's not true. The laws of basic economics do not bend. They do not break. They are not reversed just because you want them to be reversed. When Bernie Sanders says that it's just rich people screwing everybody else, and if we set up trade barriers and tax the rich, everybody will be rich and have their manufacturing job back in Michigan, it's not true. It's not true. Both Trump and Sanders succeeded in their respective primaries and then Trump in the general by lying about economics. By the way, Hillary lied about economics too. Manufacturing employment has not dropped in the United States because of trade. The vast majority of manufacturing losses have been due to technological improvements. Since 1994, manufacturing in this country, manufacturing output has actually skyrocketed. But the number of jobs have leveled off because worker productivity is high because they're all using machines now. Between 2006 and 2013, American manufacturing production jumped 17.6%, almost 20%. But not the jobs. Why? Because of machines. China, right? China, we're losing all the jobs are going to China. We keep hearing that. Yeah, except for the fact that manufacturing jobs in China have actually declined in recent years. They've actually lost manufacturing jobs in recent years. And most of the automotive jobs that are being created in Mexico are not U.S. factories shifting down south. They're coming from foreign automakers investing in Mexico instead of the United States because of our trade policies, because of our bad trade policies. And we're not losing because of deficits either. When you hear Trump say, it's our bad trade deals, it's the trade deficits, that doesn't even make any sense. As I've explained before, trade deficits are not responsible for manufacturing job loss. It's our lack of competitiveness in the industry that's responsible. Okay, if we, if, let's say that we're buying lots of cars from, from Japan. Let's say we're buying lots of cars from Japan, and we have a trade deficit with Japan then. Where do you think all that money goes? All that money is then invested back in the United States. They can't spend dollars in Japan. They have yen in Japan. They can't spend dollars in Japan. They have to spend it back here. It's what we call a capital income surplus meaning that they have to bring that money back here, buy up real estate, invest in American companies. And that's a really good thing. They're investing, they're taking money basically from us to pay them for products we want. And they take that money and they invest it back in the most productive American companies. That's a really good thing. But again, if we, if we can't have a president or even a politics, not just about Trump, obviously, it's about all politicians. If we can't have politicians who are willing to speak honestly about political issues because they're too interested in being popular, then we're never going to get good policy. Then the country really does go down the drain because politicians have an interest in lying and people have an interest in being lied to. So one of two things is going to happen. Either we're going to have to demand more from our politicians, demand the truth from them, demand not to be pandered to, or politicians are going to have to become better people. One of those two things. Both are possible, and neither is probable. So it's going to take a little bit of both. Okay, meanwhile, the big news over the weekend, obviously, uh, were these terrorist attacks, a big terrorist attack in Berlin. Uh, this one is fairly typical. It looks like a Tunisian refugee uh, who drove a, a lorry, drove a truck into a Christmas market in Berlin. Uh, and it's a shock to the system, to a lot of the folks in, uh, in Germany, because Germany has been very, very welcoming uh, toward Muslim immigrants. They've been very, very welcoming uh, toward Turkish immigrants, particularly, I mean, so much so that Angela Merkel, uh, the chancellor, has even come out in favor of prosecution of Germans for making jokes about the dictator of Turkey. Uh, they, uh, the Germans are pissed, and uh, they are, they're likely to move to the right. Here is, here is John Bolton, uh, a guy who's maybe up for deputy secretary of state, we'll see, uh, talking about what's happening in Germany. 
Well, she's already tried to take some steps inside Germany by calling on bands of uh, women wearing burkas and the like to try and go after the most visible manifestation of the rise of uh, Islamism in Germany. But I think the, the feeling that many Germans have had and are reluctant to say out loud, given Germany's own history, uh, is that they feel that they've lost control of their country. It's not a feeling that's unknown elsewhere in Europe, uh, but Merkel has been the, uh, the, the biggest symbol I think, uh, across the continent of somebody who was open to this policy. It's aroused a lot of resentment outside of Germany. And I think the question is whether enough Germans believe it was uh, Angela Merkel's mistake that she loses next year and is no longer chancellor. And this is, of course, 100 percent true, right? I mean, the fact is that there's a big backlash coming against against the Europeans. Now, a lot of this, a lot of this, you have to wonder, what is Russia's agenda here? So we're going to talk about Russia's agenda in all of this, and then we're going to talk about what the results of this this other big story, the Russian ambassador being shot in Turkey, what that means. So what is Russia's agenda? Russia has a couple of agendas. Russia's agenda is to grow territorially, right? to expand into Crimea, to expand into places like Georgia, Kazakhstan, uh, to expand, yes, into Eastern Europe, places like Estonia, Latvia, Lithuania. Uh, they just placed missiles in uh, Kaliningrad, which is a little outpost. It's very weird on the map. You look, and it's actually next to Poland and Lithuania and not physically connected to Russia, but it's a Russian outpost there. They just placed missiles there. Russia obviously wants to grow territorially, but they also want to form alliances with all of these European nations who will then be indebted to them. That's, that's the goal. The goal is to expand their sphere of influence by clearing the field, by allowing all these other countries to do what Trump is doing and just say, you know what, Vlad, do what you want to do. We're not going to get in your way. You're fighting the bad guys. So the best thing that's happened to Putin in the recent past is the rise of ISIS. It's great for him because he's able to use his allies like Iran and Syria to supposedly fight ISIS, all the, while, all the while actually just strengthening Iran and Syria. They're not actually fighting ISIS. Do you really think that the Russian military couldn't destroy ISIS if they were full bore into it? Do you really think that? Do you think ISIS is really that much of an opponent? Do you think, I mean, it's just, it's silly. But, but the, the reason that they're maintaining ISIS is because they're not interested in attacking ISIS. ISIS is a good foil for them for public relations. And so what that's done is, to, so, so two things have happened. By using ISIS as a moral foil, by saying, here's ISIS, and we're fighting ISIS, join us in our big fight. Russia is expanding its sphere of influence and allowing us to abdicate to them. And then secondly, the conflict in Syria is creating this vast wave of refugees that are entering Europe. And all the left-wing governments in Europe, because they're left-wing and stupid, they've been saying, yeah, bring all the refugees in. No, culture, no acculturation necessary, multiculturalism rules. And then the number of terrorist attacks increases. And then who gets elected? Who gets elected? A bunch of right-wing governments many of whom are very friendly to, to the Russians. Right? The fact is that one, one of the parties that has been ripping on, the, uh, ripping on, on Angela Merkel uh, is, uh, is this far-right party that is very closely allied with Vladimir Putin. In Austria, a far-right party there, very closely allied with Vladimir Putin. A lot of these far-right parties are kind of fond of Putin because in Europe, being far-right has nothing to do with being conservative. It has to do with being closed-border, authoritarian. They want big government, but they want big government not just for redistribution, but also in the service of closing their borders and being culturally homogenous. That's, that's their goal. They're sort of like uh, a, a slightly more benign version of the American alt-right. Uh, so, so Russia's goal is twofold here, right? One is to consolidate its power in the Middle East, and the other is to get friendly governments elected around the world. And this is what they're doing in Syria accomplishes both of these goals. Another step on the road to power here is, is what just happened to the Russian ambassador. So it's actually excellent news for the Russians that this Turkish terrorist shot to death the Russian ambassador. Here's what the tape looked like for those who missed it. It's graphic, by the way. 
все красоты России своими собственными глазами. The gunman shouts, Allahu Akbar. Do not trouble, forget trouble, trouble. So this guy apparently refused to go through security, and they let him in anyway. Um, and uh, when he's holding up his, his finger like this, what he means by that apparently uh, is oh, Allah is the only one, God is the greatest. And that's what he, they're saying, Allahu Akbar, right? So if you are Vlad Putin, unless this guy's a personal friend, and I can't imagine Vlad Putin has a lot of personal friends, uh, then this is, this is actually really good news for you on the public relations front. Because just remember, last week, everybody was talking about Russian atrocities in Aleppo. You had Samantha Power over at the UN blabbing about the Russians and how terrible they are. Here was Samantha Power just last week. This is... Uh... Is there literally nothing that can shame you? Aleppo will join the ranks of those events in world history that define modern evil, that stain our conscience decades later. Halabja, Rwanda, Srebrenica, and now Aleppo. Now Barack Obama uh, is, uh, is saying the same things. Here's what he had to say this week just before this happened. Here's what he said about Russia, Iran, and Syria. The world as we speak, is united in horror at the savage assault by the Syrian regime and its Russian and Iranian allies on the city of Aleppo. We have seen a deliberate strategy of surrounding, besieging, and starving innocent civilians. We've seen relentless targeting of humanitarian workers and medical personnel, entire neighborhoods reduced to rubble and dust. There are continuing reports of civilians being executed, and these are all horrific violations of international law. Responsibility. This is Obama of one second ago, right? Blaming and talking about how terrible this is. And now what has happened? Because this Russian ambassador is shot. Now it goes back to, well, Russia's going to fight ISIS. I mean, they shot their ambassador. Clearly, they're going to fight ISIS. Russia is taking advantage of the situation to push for the breakup of NATO. So Russia is trying to blame NATO powers for influencing this. Right? What they're saying is that, that NATO, by focusing on what's going on in Aleppo, drove the terrorists to kill the Russian ambassador. That's, that's their new claim. All of this is, is very brilliantly politicked by Vladimir Putin. And so now what you have is Vladimir Putin basically running. He's open field running at this point because on the left, you've got pansies like Obama who have done nothing. And on the right, you've got a bunch of people who want to abdicate to, to Putin thinking that he's their ally. So on the left, you know, we've got now Obama ripping on, on Putin and all this. But as you recall, I mean, just quick flashback story here. You remember Obama saying that he wanted to give the Russians flexibility just four years ago. I mean, you remember that when you stopped there, you remember in Syria that on the, he drew a red line about weapons of mass destruction use in Syria. This is in 2012. We have put together a range of contingency plans. Uh, we have communicated in no uncertain terms with every player in the region that that's a red line for us and that there would be enormous consequences if we start seeing movement on the chemical weapons front. That in 2012. And then, of course, Assad used chemical weapons. And then Obama said, no, no, no I didn't set a red line. The Russians should take control. I didn't set a red line. <laughs> the world set a red line. Oh. The world set a red line when governments representing 98% of the world's population said uh, the use of chemical weapons are abhorrent. 
Okay, so you've got so you got on the left people who are just pansying out against the Russians, pansying out against Putin, and on the right you've got a bunch of people who are being manipulated by Putin into thinking that Putin is their ally, even as he pursues his interests. It's really well politics. Again, you have you have Donald Trump in the middle of Vladimir Putin expanding his reach. You have Donald Trump slamming NATO, saying he doesn't care if NATO falls apart. They're ripping off the United States, and they're ripping you off. I don't care. I, I don't want to do that. Either they pay up, including for past deficiencies. Or they have to get out. And if it breaks up NATO, it breaks up NATO. I mean, you know, they bring up, as an example, they bring up the Ukraine. The Ukraine. I have many friends live in the Ukraine. I have great people live in the Ukraine. Ukraine's great. The problem is this. I never hear any of the 27 talking about the Ukraine. The only one talks about the Ukraine. The only one is the United States. So he doesn't care about NATO. You think Putin doesn't read that? You think Putin doesn't hear that? You think Putin doesn't care about that? Reince Priebus, today, this is during the campaign, but Reince Priebus, yesterday, he said the intelligence community, or on Sunday, he said the intelligence community, uh, they don't even know that it was Russian interference in the DNC, right? Which is not true. 17 intelligence agencies have concluded that Russia interfered in the hack of the DNC. I think that these guys should be straight with the American people and come out and say it. I don't think they've been clear about it. I think that it's been all over the map. So John Brennan, his statement is not enough for you. Um, not when you have multiple people saying different things coming through third parties and media reports. But that all being said, let's uh, just let's put it aside. Let's assume it's true. There's no evidence that shows that the outcome of the election was changed because of a couple dozen John Podesta That's emails. That's true, but he doesn't just say that, right? That's true. What he says that I, I said that the day that all this news broke that there's no evidence that the outcome of the election was dependent on Russian hacking. But that's not as far as the Trump people have gone. The Trump people have gone a lot further. They've been extraordinarily pro-Russian. Putin is getting what he wants. And that is not a good thing for the world, folks. Vladimir Putin is one of the worst people on planet Earth. And his continued maintenance stranglehold on power is not good for any of our allies. But I guess we don't need allies anymore. I guess the new, the new philosophy from the left is that alliances are only useful if they're lefty. And the, and the, new, the idea from the right is that if, Trump will, if somebody else will do our dirty work, then we'll allow them to, to kill a few people on the side and expand their reach and interest. It's, it's really bad stuff. I mean, on foreign policy, this, this could be really, really egregiously bad. I mean, from the party that used to say that, the party of Reagan that used to actually label evil empires evil empires. Okay, time for some things I like, then some things I hate. So, things I like. Um, I was on a, um, I, I, I was flying yesterday, and... Um, the uh, they showed X Men Apocalypse and I thought X Men Apocalypse was okay. It wasn't it wasn't like my favorite. Uh, I thought that the storyline with Magneto was totally lacking. That that was the crux of the entire piece, and the storyline with Magneto just didn't work for me at all because it's the same. They, they just kept trying to repeat his history. It was lazy. Um, but the X Men First Class, the original, the first one in the kind of relaunch of the X Men, the, the the revised one with Michael Fassbender and. Uh, James McAvoy. That's a really good movie. So here is here is X Men First Class, the trailer to it. Before he was Professor X. Before he was Magneto. He was Eric. This is actually. I think my favorite Marvel It shall movie. be the policy of this nation to regard any nuclear missile launched from Cuba against any nation in the Western Hemisphere as an attack by the Soviet Union on the United States. The cost of freedom is always high. 
No one can foresee precisely what course it will take. One path we shall never choose, and that is the path of surrender. It's really good. It's 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 actually a really good movie, uh, and uh, the sequels were not as good. You get what? Do you guys agree? Which one do you think? You like all the new ones? I, I don't. I actually do. I think that the X Men relaunch is the best thing that Marvel has done. I think that it's better than the Avengers stuff. I think it's better than the Civil War stuff. Uh, I watched. By the way, I watched Civil War on the plane. Captain America: Civil War. Wow, that was not good. Uh, everybody was obsessed with that. I really did not like that. I'll have to do things I hate about it at some point because I can explain all the things that are wrong with it, including the basic problem with with the comic book also, which is that it makes no sense if you're going to have a registration system. To have Captain America be the advocate of not being for the registration system, and Iron Man, who is a libertarian, being in favor of the registration system. It just doesn't work at all. And in the film, it doesn't make any sense because you really think that none of these people have thought about the fact that when they save, like, giant countries that some people get killed? Like, this never occurred to them before? And they think that they're going to hand it over to the UN and that's going to fix everything? Like, the, pr- the biggest problem with the movie is that Iron Man literally has no case. Iron Man's case is awful. And he's just stupid the entire movie, which doesn't fit with Tony Stark. But that's another story. Okay. Uh, other, th- other things I like. So SNL has actually been – they waited until after the election to be funny. But now they're mocking leftists semi-regularly. And, uh, and they were mocking leftist desperation over the Electoral College. It was pretty funny. Oh, hi. Who is it? Clinton and Show sing. It's Carol Singers. Give him a dollar and tell him to get lost. And she's holding up signs. It says, hi. It's me. And it's, it's, it's Kate McKinnon. It's Hillary Rodham Clinton. In the 70s, I worked for the Children's Defense Fund. And she's flipping through her resume here with these cute kids. Let me just say... Because it's Christmas, and at Christmas you tell the truth, I know you're an elector. (laughs) And on December 19th, you're supposed to vote for Donald Trump, but bitch, (laughs) he cried. And then she starts going through explanations. He's refusing security briefings, provoking the Chinese. And then just a giant list of reasons you can't vote for President Trump. And then it says, listen, I know I lost the election, and we may never know why. Cough. Russia. Cough. But I still care about this country. You don't even have to vote for me. I'm coup. Just vote for literally anyone else, like John Kasich, Tom Hanks, Zendaya, The Rock, All Rock. Yes, I'll incur a $1,000 fine. But to that I say, and it's check for $1,000 from Hillary. Ha ha ha. It's, it's a funny bit. The, the part of this, this skit that's funny is that, of course, this totally failed. One of, the, one of the beautiful things about this, for weeks leading up to the Electoral College, I got people coming up to me asking me, are they going to steal it from Trump? And I kept saying, no, this is idiotic. Of course they're not going to do anything. And then, of course, when they got down to it, more electors defected from Hillary Clinton than defected from Trump, which was really quite delicious. Okay, time for some things I hate. Okay, so... 
let's let's talk about the media a little bit. So the media have been pushing this idea that there's fake news all over the place. Fake news here, fake news there, fake news, fake news everywhere, and it's all coming from the right. Except for the fact that they are constantly purveying fake news. There's a story we're going to talk about at length tomorrow that I'll save for tomorrow, and that is the story of this this Muslim YouTube guy who claims that Delta kicked him off a flight for for speaking Arabic, and that story's falling apart. We'll talk about that tomorrow because, again, it's a demonstration of just how willing the media are to confirm a narrative they like. But it is amazing how far they will go to twist the truth. So Bill O'Reilly last night on his show, he was talking about the leftist perspective on this election cycle, and here's what he had to say, and then I'll tell you how the media covered this. It's insane. Very few commentators will tell you that the heart of liberalism in America today is based on race. It permeates almost every issue. That white men have set up a system of oppression. That system must be destroyed. Bernie Sanders peddled that. To some extent, Hillary Clinton did. And the liberal media tries to sell that all day long. So-called white privilege, bad. Diversity, good. If you look at the voting patterns, it's clear that the Democrats are heavily reliant on the minority vote, also on the woman vote. White men have largely abandoned the Democrats, and the left believes this is because of racism, that they want to punish minorities, keep them down. So that's what's really going on when you hear about the Electoral College and how unfair it allegedly is. Summing up, left wants power taken away from the white establishment. They want a profound change in the way America is run. Taking voting power away from the white precincts is the quickest way to do that. Okay, so the way that they're reading this, the, the way they're reading this is that Bill O'Reilly is actually saying that it's minorities who are trying to take power from the white establishment, and he's here to defend the white establishment. You just watched that. That's not what he's saying. What he's saying is that the leftist view of the world is that that's what they're doing. Leftists think that they're taking power away from evil white people and handing it to minorities. Right, that's what he's saying. That's what he's saying. Here are the actual headlines. The headline from Huffington Post. O'Reilly, the left wants power taken away from the white establishment. As though he's actually saying that there is a white establishment that is being somehow put under the boot of these minorities and he's going to stand up for them. Joanne Reed tweeted, this is horrifyingly honest. This is reminiscent of something you might have heard in apartheid-era South Africa. I mean, the irony here, of course, is that the, what he's saying is exactly the leftist view. The leftist view is that these white privileged people have to be taken down a peg, and the reason Trump won is because of white racism. Former Obama aide Dan Pfeiffer, he tweeted, the time Bill O'Reilly got his internal and external monologues confused. Here's some other headlines. New York Daily News, O'Reilly, liberals want to undermine white establishment. Talking points memo, O'Reilly laments that the left wants to diminish the power of white establishment. The only reason he used the term white establishment is he was saying it's a leftist term. That's how the left sees the universe. That's what they see as their mission in life. That is fake news, gang. That's fake news. Taking this out of context to claim that Bill O'Reilly is just defending a mythical white establishment that the left, that the left believes in but that we don't, that's, that's fake news at its finest. Other fake news. There's this actress named Aisha Taylor, uh, and uh, I think that is she on – I can't remember what show she's on. She's on a bunch of shows. Um, and, uh, and she tweeted – uh, so Mike Huckabee said, remember after 08 and 12, the GOP rioted, death-threatened electors, burned cities, and tried to stop inauguration? Yeah, me neither. And then she tweeted back, remember when mobs of gun-toting Tea Partiers flooded D.C., pledged to assassinate Obama, and burned him in effigy on the mall? Yeah, me too. And no one in the media thought to actually check the tape? None of that happened. Gun-toting deep Tea Partiers flooding D.C.? That never happened. Okay, it's illegal to carry in D.C. That never happened. Pledged to assassinate Obama? Who pledged to assassinate her? That's a federal crime. I mean, the, the, the Secret Service would have arrested every last one of those people. Burned him in effigy. I don't remember any burning effigies of Obama. Maybe it happened, but I don't, 
I can't recall it. I really don't. I think that would have been a bigger story I would have remembered. But again, the media don't point out that this is factually untrue. Other fact checks that deserve a little bit of fact checking. Chris Hayes uh, is making a big deal. Huffington Post did this ridiculous story the other day. And it's sort of imperative to check Huffington Post if you want to see what the left is thinking or what's going through their pea brains every so often. Uh, Chris Hayes connected General Michael Flynn, Lieutenant Lieutenant General Michael Flynn, as the national security advisor for Trump, to Nazis. Why? Well, we'll let, you, we'll let him explain, and then I'll explain why he's, uh, he's making things up. Now, according to the New York Times, a leader of Austria's far-right Freedom Party just posted on Facebook that he visited a couple weeks ago with General Michael Flynn, Trump's pick for national security advisor. The Freedom Party was founded in the 1950s by literal Nazis. Its first leader was a former member of the SS. Earlier this month, the party's candidate narrowly lost Austria's presidential election, its popularity fueled by heightened fears about refugees from the Muslim world. They espouse a brand of Islamophobia, not unlike that ha- what has been expressed by Flynn himself, who has declared on Twitter that, quote, fear of Muslims is rational. According to the Times, the Freedom Party didn't just announce a meeting with Flynn. It also unveiled a new cooperation agreement with Russia's ruling political party, United Russia, led by Vladimir Putin. There's now, that's no explaining act- that Trump is now associated with literal Nazis, and he's not the only person saying this. Tariq Nasheed, who's also kind of a nutty radio commentator on the left, he says that Trump's cabinet is connected to literal Nazis. Same story. Just this morning, he wrote this, quote, Trump has appointed to his cabinet people from the alt-right, a white supremacist sect that literally throws up Nazi salutes, hashtag nevermindpresident. Tariq joins us now. Tariq, thanks for coming on. So... I looked at a list of the president-elect's cabinet appointments. Which one of them throws up Nazi salutes, literally, as you said? Well, no. Well, Steve Bannon, he's associated with that alt-right organization, which is really nothing more than a sect of white supremacy. And those alt-right people, they were in a federal building at the Ronald Reagan, Reagan building, throwing up Nazi salutes in the Steve Spencer. All of these, not Steve Spencer, but Richard Spencer. All of these guys are basically open white supremacists who practices Nazism. So, Stop and, it there. First of all, Trump is- just a note on Tucker Carlson's confused face. Uh, it does make for great screen caps. So anytime somebody says something that's, that's stupid, and it's, it's his resting face. His resting face is this kind of look of skepticism and confusion. <laughs> so it does make for green screen. Like, we can pause it at any point. Like, run it for another 10 seconds and pause it. Associated with that. Just like uh, Reverend Wright was associated with Barack Obama. Well, and you wait, people no, here wait, criticized wait him for that. You don't say he was associated. Yeah. You said appointed people to his cabinet who mm-hmm. throw up Nazi salutes. Yeah, so it doesn't, doesn't matter. Any, anytime you pause it, uh, the, the, look of, the look of bewilderment uh, is, is there, which is, which is great, by the way, because he's obviously having on people of the left who can't defend themselves. But let me explain why all of this is crap. So Steve Bannon, as I've said before, as, uh, I can't believe the left makes me defend Steve Bannon, a person who I personally, th- he's literally one of the worst people I know, and I'm defending him because the left is so out of their mind. Okay, Steve Bannon does not throw up Nazi salutes, nor, does he, n- nor, nor is he interested in the idea that, that Nazi salutes are a good thing. He's a literal Nazi, white supremacist. No, he's willing to pander to alt-right racists if he thinks that it will help him forward his agenda. That's not quite the same thing as cabinet members literally throwing up Nazi salutes. Okay, that's a bunch of crap. And then on the other one, you know, this is, Huffington Post made this their headline. They had a headline that said, Mike and Reich, Flynn met leader of ex-Nazi party. Okay, let me explain something about the Freedom Party. Okay, so... The Freedom Party in Austria, the first leader was a guy named Anton Reinthaler. He supported the Nazi Party. He served in the SS. That's true. Okay, but there's one problem. The Freedom Party in Austria is currently one of the most pro-Israel parties in Europe. They actually think they have common cause with the Jews in fighting radical Islam. 
the head of the Freedom Party, met in Israel with government officials last year. The Freedom Party has campaigned for increased Austrian aid to Israel. So, in other words, they may have had they may have been really anti-Semitic even ten years ago. That doesn't that's not their position right now. So to claim that Flynn is associating with Nazis because in 1928 the founder of the party was a Nazi, that's like saying Barack Obama became the leader of the ex-slavery party, right? That headline that said. You know, Flynn met leader of ex-Nazi party. It's like Obama becomes leader of ex-slavery party because the Democratic Party was the slavery party. Or maybe JFK's election should have been headlined, America elects son of Nazi sympathizer. Because Joseph Kennedy, JFK's dad, was an actual Nazi sympathizer. Okay, but again, the, the, the media lies are, are really complete and really amazing. Uh, and it's demonstrative of the fact that when they say things are fake news, they are the greatest purveyors of it. Okay, so... Today, a little bit later today, uh, I will be hosting for Mark Levin, guest hosting for Mark Levin, which is a, a great honor, obviously. I'm a big Levin fan, uh, and I think that he is one of the most honest people in American politics, so it's a, it's a real pleasure to sit in for him, so make sure you tune in for that. And we will be back here tomorrow with much, much more. There's a lot of breaking news, so lots to talk about. I'm Ben Shapiro. This is The Ben Shapiro Show. We'll get to more on this in just one second. First, Pure Talk believes in American values and that free should mean, you know, like free. So when you switch to Pure Talk today, you'll get a free Samsung 5G smartphone. There's no four-line requirement, no activation fee, just a free Samsung that's built to last with a rugged screen, quick charging battery, and top-tier data security. Qualifying plans start at just 35 bucks a month for unlimited talk, text, 15 gigs of data, and a mobile hotspot. Pure Talk gives you phenomenal coverage on America's most dependable 5G network. It's the same coverage you know and love, but for half the price of the other guys. The average family saves almost $1,000 a year. So I challenge you to choose a company that actually doesn't hate your guts and shares your values. Let Pure Talk's expert U.S. customer service team help you make the switch today. Go to puretalk.com Shapiro to claim your eligibility for your free brand new Samsung 5G smartphone and start saving on wireless today. Again, go to puretalk.com Shapiro to switch to my cell phone company. I've been using them for years. They're fantastic. You'll love them as well. Go to puretalk.com Shapiro and claim your eligibility on that free brand new Samsung 5G smartphone. Start saving. 